0: If you missed last week, we're actually dealing with the last two questions because last week uh, just felt we had to address what happened in Paris and around the world last week. So we did that, kind of took a break from the question. So this morning we're answering, why isn't the way to God more clear? And then how do I know God all in one? And I love this passage because it answers both of those questions that, that Elaine read. Um, what, I'm, what I want to do this morning, what I want you guys to see this morning is that Nicodemus comes and he meets with Jesus. And so I want you to see Jesus this morning. I'm going to ruin the ending for you. Like, how do I know God? Jesus. (laughs) Um, I want you to see Jesus this morning. I want you to see what a conversation with Jesus is like. And that's what John 3 does for us. And I want you to see the perspective of Nicodemus as well And, and what he's coming from. Because odds are you're going to identify more with Nicodemus in this passage than you're going to identify with Jesus in this passage. And you'll see certain things in Nicodemus that are in your own heart. And hopefully this morning, God is going to take those things in your heart and break those down in you this morning. Um, And then I want you to see the response that Jesus gives to him. So, we're going to walk through this a little bit, this, this question kind of, uh, or from last week, why isn't the way to God more clear? It's kind of in a pluralistic context. We live in, in a very pluralistic society. We live in a society where there's so many different religions, and, and people acknowledge there's so many different ways to God, all these things. And, and then you have the Christian faith, and Christianity makes No apologies about saying that Jesus is the only way to God. Um, Jesus says it. So if you're going to say you're a Christian and Jesus says that he's the only way to the Father, then we're going to say we agree with Jesus. And so it's not something out of the Christian faith as much as it is just Jesus saying it. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the one who draws people to the Father. I am uh, the gate, I am the door, I am the one who shows you the Father. I'm the exact imprint of his nature. I am the exact representation of who God is, and I'm here to show you that. That's Those are all Christ Jesus' words. And so my Christian faith makes no apologies about it. But at the same time, the Christian faith isn't one, uh, and you may be new to church, you may be new to what the Christian faith is, it isn't one that is a, a authoritarian. You know, we're not saying, we're not, forcing people to, to believe that. We're saying this is the truth that God's given, and uh, it's your choice whether you believe or not. And we'll see that as Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus. Um, in the discussion of pluralism, there's this, this is a, a Hindu-Buddhist uh, kind of story, parable that's often thrown out there with four, sometimes there's six, but four to six blind men and the elephant. And we hear this story thrown out there a lot. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. This king, he brings in this elephant. He has this elephant. He brings in four, we'll go with four. He brings in four blind men. And he says, what do you, this is an elephant. He tells them, this is an elephant. And then tell me what what you think about it. You know, one's feeling the trunk. And he says, well, the elephant is like a snake. One's feeling the legs, he says the elephant, uh, he's like a tree. One feels the tail, he says something else. One feels something else, his ear, and he says he's like a fan, you know. Um, and, uh, and the king says to them, yes, you're all right. That is all the elephant. Um, and that's often used for there's many ways to God. You know, there's, you can go through the trunk, you can go through the legs, you can go through the tail, you can go through the ear, uh, it just looks different to, to different people. the The problem with that, the problem with that illustration, the problem with that story, is that they're all blind. Like all these men in the story are blind. They actually don't know what the entire elephant looks like. And what if there was someone who views himself to Nicodemus, and he says, "We're all blind, and we see that we'll see that through Nicodemus," but I'm here to tell you what the real elephant looks like. And we can only trust in someone who's actually seen the full elephant. And so, as we walk through this passage, keep that in mind. Um, and I'm going to rephrase the question. So, if you saw the Big City Big Question video yesterday, um, and you ask anybody in the city, you don't have to see the video. If you talk to anybody about spiritual things in the city, um, This is the question. If God exists, why can't I see the way to God more clearly? It's so jumbled. Why is not God, why doesn't he just make it clear? Um, That's an outward question. Why isn't God doing something? Uh, I want to take the question and actually rephrase it and say, if God exists, why can't I see the way more clearly? Like, let's stop blaming God for, for making the way muddy. And let's start saying, okay, maybe I can't see the way clearly. And maybe this is where we need to start. Something is, is happening here that is causing me not to see the way to God more clearly. And so we're, we're granting that there is a way, um, but something's going on here where I can't see it more clearly. So if that's our question, why can't I see the way to God more clearly? I want to give you a few answers to that. Number one, uh, because we haven't been told the way. Um, it's, sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's, no one's told us. You know, when I met my wife uh, in university 14 years ago, um, I shared my faith with her, and she grew up in the Bible Belt in the southern, in southern U.S., and I shared my faith with her, and you know what her response was? I've never heard that before chew up in the Bible Belt in the U.S. And her response was, I've never heard that before. Jesus who? who is this Jesus you speak of? Um, She had never heard the gospel presented to her like that, ever. No one had ever sat her down and talked to her about those things. So sometimes it's just as easy as this because, you know, the way, I can't see the way to God more clearly because I haven't been told the way. Nicodemus approaches Jesus. And we're just going to walk through the passage this morning. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, it says. He's a very important person. He's, he's high up there. In order to be a ruler of the Jews, you have to be very religious. And so he's a very religious person. Okay? He's a Pharisee. He's on the council. He's, he's just, he's all around very religious. And so he's an important man. He comes. To Jesus at night I won't make a big deal about that some people make a big deal like Nicodemus came at night he was scared of what was going to happen I don't think that really matters um, as much but he comes to Jesus by night Um, and what's important here is Nicodemus takes some initiative I think we should see it as that so from your perspective if you're identifying with Nicodemus this morning how about taking some initiative to ask questions Nicodemus approaches Jesus. A lot of times, uh, this is with any faith system or, or anything, this is with anything. A lot of times we just take what, what other people say and, um, and then we run with it. Uh, I've talked to people in this city who have never met a genuine, real Christian before until they've met me. All they know about Christianity is from what they've heard from somebody else who isn't a Christian or from the media, or from what they read even. Um, but uh, what, what we see here is Nicodemus takes some initiative. He he doesn't hear what people are saying about Jesus. He actually goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, here's my questions. And Jesus approaches him on his terms. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm not meeting you at night. He doesn't say, I'm not meeting you at night. You should come out during the day. Um, Jesus approaches him on his terms here. So... Uh, and then he recognizes, and then he recognizes Jesus as rabbi. This is a, this means teacher. This is a very, uh, for, for Nicodemus to recognize Jesus as rabbi is huge. Remember, this guy's very religious. And Jesus is a poor carpenter from a region and a town called Nazareth, a region of Galilee, that people say nothing good comes out of. People say, how can a prophet come out of that? Later on, Nicodemus defends Jesus in John 7 before the before the council, before the Pharisees, and they say that their response to him is, he's from Galilee. There's no way he can be a prophet. So they already, like, take out where he's from and, and say there's no way he can do anything from God. And so for Nicodemus to recognize him as a teacher is huge. Um, but he does. He recognizes him as a teacher, and... Well, you know, it's expected that Jesus is going to be ignorant in theology. It's expected that Jesus is going to be ignorant in the ways of God. He's from He didn't spend his whole life studying like Nicodemus has. Um, and it's really awesome. Well, I don't know if it's awesome, if that's the right adjective. But uh, towards the end of the passage, we see that Nicodemus is actually the ignorant one. He's the one who just doesn't know what's going on. Um, and so... Uh, He comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him." What's interesting is just before this passage, Jesus has done a miracle, he's done a sign. And then right before that, it says, many believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So they saw the miracles, they saw the signs that Jesus was doing, and it says they believed in him. But it says Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that man's heart was fickle, and that if people trusted just in signs, they would need to be kept with signs. And if they didn't see more signs, they would turn away and be fickle. So it says Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't, and this, it's a peculiar phrasing, He says he didn't give himself over to them because they weren't really believing in him; they were believing in the signs that he was doing. And if, if you saw the video yesterday, um, that's how people want God to be. They said, if you were, the, the question was, if you were God, how would you reveal yourself to a person, to a human? Many people said, I would, I love this one guy's response, he's like, boom, fireworks, I would just be there, rock and roll style. Like, um, so many people said that, boom, volcano out of the ground, like, hey, I'm God, Um Jesus did so many signs, and it wasn't enough for people to believe. And even when people said, I want to believe in that, Jesus said, no, that's not, that's not what you should be believing in. You need to be believing in, in me, and, and not in the signs that I can do. And because he knows that that's a fickle way to have faith, when you believe in a miracle or a sign, okay? Um, so, just, again, first one, because we haven't been told the way. Second, uh, because we haven't had our eyes open. So if you look at verse 3, Jesus, Jesus answers Nicodemus. So it's kind of, it's this is really interesting, because Nicodemus gives Jesus a huge compliment just now. He says, we know that you're from God. He calls him rabbi. You're a teacher. You're doing awesome miracles. And God is with you. And then Jesus isn't like, Oh, thanks, Nicodemus. I appreciate that. He actually says something really uh, weirdly profound. He says, truly, truly, which is just saying, I tell you the truth. Um, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he doesn't even acknowledge Nicodemus' compliment. He just gives him the truth of the kingdom. He just says, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't, I don't get it. Um, and what Jesus is saying here is this, he's saying born, uh, sometimes this is translated as born again. So you've, if you've been around the church at all, you hear this terminology, born again. Uh, but what Jesus is really saying is born from above. It's a spiritual birth. What Nicodemus hears is born again. And you see that in his reaction which we'll get to in a second. But he says, unless someone is born from above Nicodemus, they cannot see the kingdom of God. They can't see it. They're blinded to it. And he's saying that God's working all around you. You know, when Jesus first shows up on the, on the scene, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's here right now. And his, what he's trying to do is open people's eyes to that. And they can't see that. They're blinded. Um, and the thing is, uh, if you read further on in the Scriptures and 2 Corinthians and further on in the Gospel, you'll see that we can't unblind ourselves. Like we, we can't do that ourselves. We can't take the veil that's off of our eyes or over our hearts. Uh, something else has to do that, something external has to come in and unblind us. And that's the spirit of God. Um, we'll get to that more, more later. But let's look at Nicodemus's response. And this is the third, I think I'm on number three. This is the third reason um, to, the, to the question. Because we segregate the mind from the heart. If you look at Nicodemus' response, he says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? His response is purely intellectual. He responds from here and not from here. Remember, Nicodemus is very religious. He knows the ins and outs of God's instruction, of the law, but it's apparent that it hasn't gone from here to here, it hasn't gone into his heart. And he answers it from an intellectual perspective and he says, I don't see how that's possible. And that's what the intellect says. How is this possible? the heart would have responded, tell me what I have to do to do this. How do I do this, Jesus? Like, tell me what I need to do. And Jesus is trying to speak to his heart, and all the while Nicodemus is, is answering and, and responding and receiving from, from his intellect. And the heart really is just, um, the reason I say we can't segregate them or separate them from one another is because the heart in the scriptures encompasses all of that. You know, whenever you see the heart mentioned in the Bible, it's not just your emotional seat. It's your volition, your will, your emotions, your your mental capacity, your intellect. So when the Bible says, um, when it references heart, it's talking about the entirety of your being is situated right here. And I keep on pointing here just because that's where our heart is, but it would be this. <laughs> it would be everything. And so... Um, Oftentimes, when we approach, uh, and you, you may have done this, when you approach the faith, when you approach uh, something new, and let's just, we're talking about the Christian faith, so let's just talk about that. When you approach the Christian faith, you approach it from here, and you automatically put up an obstacle because you're just approaching it with your intellect. Now, I will say, um, you should approach it with your intellect, but you shouldn't separate that from the rest of your body, from your heart, from your will, from your emotions, from all, you know, your soul, all, all these things that Jesus talks about. Um, like We do have a reasonable faith. That's what's awesome about the Christian faith. It's a reasonable faith. It's an intellectual faith. Christians often get accused of being idiots um, because, for the most part, that can be true. Uh, because sometimes we don't know why we believe what we believe. We just, we just accept. But as a Christian sitting here, you should know why you believe what you believe. And when you do, then it's going to be rooted in your heart. If you don't, then it's going to be rooted somewhere else. So we need to pair our intellect with, with the rest of everything else, not just not just approach things through here. Nicodemus is taking his intellect and saying, okay, how can I understand this, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you can't. You can't understand this. And he says, and this is the, the next reason. He says, because... We don't understand the kingdom. Jesus answers them, and he says, Truly, truly, this is the second truly he says to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, water and Spirit, both those are life-giving things in the Scriptures. They're, they're paired together uh, all throughout the Scriptures. This isn't brand new. Jesus isn't introducing something brand new here when he says water and the Spirit. He's just reading Ezekiel 36, really. Um, Ezekiel 36, God has already given this, this coupling to the scriptures where, where he says, he talks about water and the spirit. And so, you know, a lot of people look, just an aside for, for um, the Christians who are in here, a lot of people think this refers to baptism and the spirit, and it doesn't. And, and in all likelihood, it doesn't. So he's not saying you have to be baptized and you have to be born of the spirit. Um, read Ezekiel 36 later, and you'll see what I mean. So, and then actually further on in John, he brings up this, this paradigm again, water and, and the spirit. Um, again, not in the context of baptism. So, um, just that's an aside. Back to this. Um, he says, so unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. a, uh, Daniel and, and, uh, I, like one of our mentors, his name is Bob Roberts. You guys hear us talk about him all the time. He says, he says the point, he always says this, the point isn't just to get into the kingdom. Um, you know, that's the goal of the gospel of salvation, he would say. Um, it's, but the gospel of salvation is our, the beginning of our journey into the kingdom. And so, we often talk about the gospel of salvation in terms of getting into the kingdom of God. Like, I'm just here. I get into heaven because I'm saved or I believed in Jesus. And that's, that's just the beginning of your journey of faith. You know, the gospel of the kingdom is much bigger than that. The gospel of salvation kind of fits into the gospel of the kingdom. And we're just entering into the kingdom, and Jesus wants us to live abundantly through that. And so it'd be like, so Missy and I, we had, um, we had a bunch of people over for dinner this week, and uh, it'd be like us having people over for dinner, them coming in, and standing in the foyer, while we're like, hey, you know, welcome, come on in, I'm glad you're here, glad you're here for dinner, um, why don't you guys, why don't you guys just stand right here, and then it'd be like Missy and I and, the, and our girls going and eating dinner in the other room. Now, they can see us over there eating dinner. They can see us having a good time. And maybe sometimes we'd, we'd say, hey, how are you guys doing? Um, but they're still standing over there. And then we finish dinner and then go and say, all right, thanks for coming for dinner, guys. Like, that was awesome. We had a good time together. Um, that, that would be like the gospel of salvation. If that was your, the extent of your Christian faith. You're just walking in the door and you're just standing in the foyer. And you see things going on in the kingdom, but you haven't taken the next step to be a part of those things. Okay? Jesus is saying, come on in. Sit at my table. I haven't invited you to observe me eating dinner. I've invited you to dine with me. That's the gospel of the kingdom. And so when Jesus says here that one, who's one, someone who isn't born again cannot see the kingdom of God, and then two... Unless he's born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about something more than your individual personal salvation, although that's a huge part of it. Jesus came and he died for you. But he did that so that you could be a part of something much grander than yourself. And so, um, you know, a big hindrance for us that we can't see the way more clearly is because we just don't understand the kingdom. Uh, we don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. And so, if you think about, think, think about Nicodemus here, um, think, and Nicodemus right now, he's getting his world rocked, like, uh, he's never heard this stuff before. Obviously, you can see by his responses. And like I said, n- some of this isn't new stuff, he's just never really, it's just never settled into his heart before. And so, if you think about people who are outside of the, the Christian faith, um, when they hear us talk about, as Christians, just individual personal salvation, how do you think that sounds to them? But when they hear us talk about something much greater than our individual personal salvation, or in addition to our individual personal salvation, that does something so much so much greater. Like that's why at Trinity Life we talk about identity and destiny and influence. We don't just talk about identity and stay there. We talk about identity which moves to destiny, which moves to influence. Our identity in Christ, our destiny in Christ, and that way we influence our city and the world. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So um, let's keep on moving through this. I don't remember what number I'm on, um, but the next one. Yeah, the next reason is because we try to get to God ourselves. So we see Nicodemus here in verse 6. He says, uh, or Jesus says to him, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is is spirit. Flesh here is really referring to just human frailty, human weakness. um, Yeah, our human way of doing things. And Jesus says, when you try to do things in the flesh, it's always going to lead to to the flesh. It's just perpetual death, perpetual weakness, perpetual human frailty. Just perpetuates that. But he says, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and the spirit brings life. It brings, the spirit, he brings empowerment. He brings um, uh, so much more. He, he takes what's dead, and he breathes life into it. And that's incredibly unique in the Christian faith, guys. If you look at, if you look at our pluralistic society, and you look at the, the different, what people would say were different ways to God, I hate to ever use, like, all or... I, I hate to use absolutes when I'm talking about things like this, but I would say the majority of other, other ways to God, and maybe even all, you're doing it yourself. You're trying to get to God. That's what religion is. Religion is man trying to make his, his way to God. It's, it's us as... as Mankind trying to craft a system to get to God. This is a tower of Babel in the scriptures. They're trying to make a tower to get to God, and God says, "No, that's not how you get to me." Um, but the Christian faith is incredibly unique where it doesn't say that. It says, "Actually, there's no way you can do anything to get to God. That's the beauty of it. That's the freedom of it, guys. Like You don't have to do a single thing to get to God because Jesus says, I'm here. Like I came to you. John says the word was made flesh. Jesus is the word and he took on flesh and he came and dwelt among us. We didn't have to go to him because there's no way we could bridge that chasm. And Jesus said, because of that, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to show you the way. And so, One of the big issues for us, though, is that we just, even though we hear that, we still try to get to God ourselves. We still try to make up for our own sin, our own failings, our own uh, whatever. And um, the whole time, Jesus is saying, You don't have to do that. I've overcome all that. I've conquered all that. I'm here because that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Like, I've forgiven you, I've overcome your failures. I've been through everything you've been through. And you don't have to try to get to me because I'm here for you. And Nicodemus, he still doesn't get it. He's, Jesus kind of says to him, don't marvel that I said that. And he tries to give him an example to connect with him, but, but still Nicodemus is, is not understanding it. And we see Nicodemus' response in verse 9. He just says, how can these things be? Like Nicodemus, is, his world is kind of just collapsing and imploding on itself right now. And he's just like, how can this be? I don't, I don't get it. Jesus isn't very empathetic. <laughs> um, he answers them, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? He doesn't say, oh, come here, Nicodemus. It's, it's okay. He actually kind of chastises him for it. And he says, you're here, and you said you're the teacher of Israel. You're this Pharisee of Pharisees, and you're, you're this ruler of the Jews. And you can't understand these things. And this is the, the next reason, um, and it's because the way to God is obscured by our own desires. Jesus calls out, of Nicodemus, something, and he addresses what's causing his inability to understand. And in, in this case, it's just religion; it's professional religion in Nicodemus's case, because he's—that's what he is—he's he's a professional religious ruler, professional religious man. And as a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus should have been familiar with these things, because, like I said, Jesus isn't bringing in anything new. This is Ezekiel 36. This is the Old Testament. This is something that Nicodemus, if he's the teacher of Israel, he should be really familiar with. He should know this passage in particular because it's given in a time where Israel had no hope and God comes in and says, here's your hope. So it should be a passage in particular that Nicodemus actually holds very closely to his heart because it's a passage that brings them and gives them hope in exile. And um, yet, Nicodemus doesn't understand. And that's why Jesus is kind of rough with him. That's why Jesus says, you claim to be this great teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. What would Jesus, what would Jesus address in your heart? Like, what's, what's hindering you? What's preventing you from, what desires are preventing you from seeing Jesus for who he is? In Nicodemus's case, it was actually something something good, something he thought was good, religion. Are you consumed with something that's taking the fulfillment in the place of, of just seeing Jesus clearly? Are you going to sacrifice your intellect for eternity? Are you going to sacrifice um, Yeah, I mean, there's so many things family and career. Like, for Nicodemus, this was a career thing. For you, it may be a family thing. And Jesus responds, he says, truly, truly, a third time. And still, there's something just preventing Nicodemus from understanding. And this is the last one it's because the way to God requires belief. Jesus appeals to something that Nicodemus is familiar with, and he says, okay. I'm going to approach you on your, on your grounds, Nicodemus, still. Like, he's been doing this and doing this. And he points him to Moses and the serpent. He says, the people were dying, Nicodemus, and Moses lifted up this serpent. And that's a picture of the Son of Man, he says. He says, whenever the Son of Man is lifted up, he's referring to himself. Whoever believes will have eternal life. And Jesus also gives this truth. That's a truth that's really difficult to grasp. The Son of Man became flesh. He descended in order to ascend so that you would have eternal life. And I love this phrase, eternal life. You know, sometimes we think it's just this phrase way out in the future. Right? But Jesus is saying, not He's not, there's two words for life in the Greek. One is bios and one is zoe. This is zoe life. this isn't he's not saying I came to give you physical life he says I actually came to give you a different quality of being of living not in the future but here now give you eternal life and I don't know what you're hurting with this morning I don't know what you dealt with this week I actually had a pretty crappy week um It's been a really bad month, actually. Um, But Jesus' promise is Zoe life. It's a different quality, it's bigger than your problems, and it puts your problems in perspective. Jesus goes on and he gives a promise. He says, or actually John writes on. He says, this is how you know who God is. It's through a person in verse 16. The most famous passage in the scriptures is through the son of God. And he had a purpose. And it wasn't to condemn the world, he says. It was actually to give the world life. To free the world. And then he proclaims this magnificent truth in verse 18 and he says because the reality is you guys are all condemned already. And I came here to give you eternal life. And that's all I'm offering. Jesus doesn't say you have to be these things. He doesn't say, do not do this, do not do this, do not do that, do this, do this. He just says, do you want eternal life? All you have to do is choose it. It's here for you to take it. It's a free gift. And that eternal life is bigger than anything you can go through. I realized last night as Miss and I were talking that God's goodness is greater than any problem we have. Missy prayed, joy over me, just joy. That is his joy is just so much bigger than, than anything. This past week, um, I was with my four-year-old daughter, uh, Reagan. She has this pink blankie. <laughs> it's actually generations in our family. it's her favorite thing I, it's not the pink blankie it's just pink blankie like it's a person <laughs> I, this is like her friend um, and I, she carries this around she can't go to sleep without it things like that or she could but we don't let her <laughs> and she was standing on the bed holding her pink blankie uh, she jumped in my arms and she said she's like I love you daddy and I was just squeezing her, and she said, I could just lay here forever. And I was so touched by that. I was like, oh, sweetie, that's so great. And then my eyes closed, and I look up, and she's nuzzling her pink blankie. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second you talking to me or Pink Blankie? And she was like, Pink Blankie. <laughs> That's how we are with God. We're nuzzling the Pink Blankie. And he's holding us. And we're saying, I could lay here forever. God looks down and we're nuzzling our career our family our relationship or the pursuit of one our depression our pride our lust our greed our anxiety our sin and God's just saying let go pink blankie I have you I'm here to hold you and maybe this morning it's just time to let go let go of that pink blankie let go of your pride let go of that sin let go of your depression let go of your anxiety let go of your anger let go of your fear and just take the next step of faith like Nicodemus did and say, Jesus, I just want to talk to you this morning. And then truly we could say, I could just lay here forever in your presence, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't give up on us. That you just love us You just love us. And it's not you love us so much. You know, we say that often. It's that your love for us is perfect. It's not in degrees. It's just perfect. And it's always pursuing us, and it's never giving up on us, and it's relentless. I just want to declare your love this morning over us. And I accept your love this morning for myself. I can give it to others. Father, the reason we don't, the reason we give anger more than love, the reason we give hate more than love, the reason we give condemnation and judgment more than love is because we haven't experienced your love for us and the greatness and the depth of it, what we sang earlier. So, please, in this moment, just let us experience the depth of your love for us. Wash your love over us. Spirit, be here with us. We just honor you and exalt your name, Jesus, in this time.